We are in the middle of a study of First and Second Samuel, uh, as we have been seeing that God has appointed His authorized King over His authorized kingdom, and we've seen that that our God is calling us as His people to respond uh, appropriately in allegiance and trust and love of God and His His King. What we saw last week, though, was that as God has been establishing and raising up and establishing David as, uh, as king over his, uh, over his people, that uh, there is unauthorized kingdom that is rising to uh, compete with God's kingdom. And this week what we're trying to understand more as we look in further in chapter 2 of 2 Samuel is what is this relationship going to be like between these two kingdoms? Uh, is Abner just going to be content for the relationship between God's authorized kingdom and this unauthorized kingdom to be one of just neighborly apathy or neutrality? Or what's going to happen? And as we look and see what happens, how do we as God's people, the citizens of his kingdom, how do we respond uh, in the midst of this, uh, this relationship, and as we're going to see, this antagonism that happens between these two, two kingdoms? It's going to be important for us to, to know this and understand it if we are going to live faithfully as God's people, awaiting the coming of, the, of his kingdom. So let's look together. Uh, turn to chapter 2 of Second Samuel. Um, where we left off last week, David had finally been anointed as king, but only over Judah. Uh, Abner had set up and established Ishbosheth, Saul's lone surviving son, as the kingdom over the rest of the, the tribes of Israel. And now Abner begins to make a move. So, look with me, verse 12 of chapter 2. If you're following along one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 255. Uh, we're going to go through the, uh, through the end of the chapter. Abner the son of Nair and the servants of Ishbosheth the son of Saul went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. And Joab the son of Zeruiah and the servants of David went out and met them at the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down the one on the one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, Let the young men arise and compete before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. Then they arose and passed over by number, twelve for Benjamin and Ishbosheth the son of Saul, and twelve of the servants of David. And each caught his opponent by the head and thrust his sword into his opponent's side so that they fell down together. Therefore, uh, that place was called Helkath Hazarim, which is at Gibeon. And the battle was very fierce that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. And the three sons of Zeruiah were there, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. Now Asahel was as swift as a foot as a wild gazelle. And Asahel pursued Abner. And as he went, he turned neither to the right nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Is it you, Asahel? And he answered, It is I. And Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or to your left and seize one of the young men and take his spoil. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. 
And Abner said again to Asahel, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I lift up my face to your brother Joab? But he refused to turn aside. Therefore Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear, so that the spear came out at his back, and he fell there and died where he was. And all who came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died stood still. But Joab and Abishai pursued Abner. And as the sun was going down, they came to the hill of Ammah, which lies before Giah on the way to the wilderness of Gibeon. And the people of Benjamin gathered themselves together behind Abner and became one group and took their stand on top of a hill. And Abner called out to Joab, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that the end will be bitter? How long will it be before you tell your people to turn from the pursuit of their brothers? And Joab said, As God lives, if you had not spoken, surely the men would not have given up the pursuit of their brothers until the morning. So Joab blew the trumpet, and all the men stopped and pursued Israel no more, nor did they fight any more. And Abner and his men went all that night through Arabah. They crossed the Jordan, and marching the whole morning, they came to Mahanaim. Joab returned from the pursuit of Abner, and when he had gathered the people together, there were missing from David's servants nineteen men, besides Ahas, Asael. But the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin three hundred and sixty of Abner's men. And they took up Asahel and buried him in the tomb of his father, which was at Bethlehem. And Joab and his men marched all night, and the day broke upon them at Hebron. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, and praise you that what we read this morning is not just legend. It's not fables and the imaginations of men passed down from generation to generation, but it's the very Word of God. We thank you that your testimonies uh, and your commandments and your rules are righteous altogether. We thank you that your Word will always accomplish its purposes. We pray and ask this morning that you would do a work among those who are here. That those of us who are your people would be encouraged to rest and hope and trust in Christ all the more. That those of us who have yet to come to know Christ would see Him as He is. The righteous and true ruler over all things who invites sinners to come and be a part of His kingdom. May Christ be glorified this morning, we pray. Amen. What is the relationship going to be between these two kingdoms? The authorized kingdom of God and the unauthorized kingdom of man. Uh, As we see here in this passage, the kingdoms of man that are set up and established by humans over against our God will never be neutral. There will be constant antagonism and rebellion and revolt. We, we see that demonstrated here. You see how Abner responded at the beginning? Uh, remember where this kingdom at first was set up. That Abner established uh, Ishbosheth as king over the, the, the eleven tribes of uh, other tribes of Israel up in Mahanaim, 
which was 60 or so miles northeast from where David was in the center of of Judah. They were on the other side of the Jordan River. But what do we see happening at the beginning of this this passage? Abner, the son of Nair, the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. Gibeon. It's all the way back down in Benjamin. Very close to Saul's hometown of Gibeah. For those who aren't familiar with uh, the, the geography of the, the tribes of Israel, Benjamin sits right on the northern border of Judah. So Abner has taken the armies of Ishbosheth and moved down right on the border of the kingdom of God. Is he there to congratulate David? Glad your kingdom's being established. May our relationship be like the United States and Canada. No. He comes down to intimidate and to challenge and to attack. You see that in the interaction. Joab goes up. Joab's the commander of David's army. He goes up and meets them at the pool of Gibeon. And they sit down, one on one side of the pool and one side on the other And Abner says to Joab, let the young men arise and let them compete before us. Abner wants to settle this. Let's have representative battle. And the winner will be declared the ruler and the king. We will put an end to this kingdom today because Abner is ready to attack and battle. You see, Abner, having established a kingdom of of man in opposition to God's kingdom, is not content to just remain neutral. He can't. His kingdom will never exist or thrive. For the existence of God's anointed and God's authorized kingdom will forever remain a constant threat and challenge to his rule the rule of Ishbosheth and all the desires that Abner has for his kingdom. He recognizes this. For we'll see later in uh, chapter 3 in verse 18, when Abner later speaks, he says and he communicates that this is what he, he knows about David, that Yahweh has promised David, by the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. Abner is aware of the promises made to David by God. Abner is aware that it is David who is God's anointed and authorized king. And as long as he exists and that kingdom is established, Abner's hopes of power and control and autonomy will never come to fruition. The two cannot coexist But it's not just Abner and this puppet kingdom that he's established through Ishbosheth. It's all kingdoms of man. No kingdom of humanity, the kingdoms of this world, will exist in neutrality and friendship with God's kingdom. Look over to Psalm 2. 
as the psalmist reflects and points us to this reality. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The psalmist recognizes and shows what is in the heart of the kings and the rulers and the kingdoms of this world, that they recognize that the true and rightful ruler is God's anointed one. And as long as he is in power and in control and in existence, we will never achieve our desires. Therefore, we must rebel against their rule and reign. We must bring an end. We must plot. We must rebel and bring an end to their rule and their reign. As we move forward through the Scriptures, we see that, that this communication of this opposition of the kingdoms of this world that refuse to remain neutral will come to uh, their fullness and their rebellion and their rejection when the true anointed one, the descendant, the heir of David who would come, the ruler who's not just king over one tribe in Israel, the ruler who is not king just over Israel itself, all of the tribes. But when Jesus took on flesh, entered into our world, through His life, His death, His resurrection, through the signs and wonders that He did, through rising from the dead, He demonstrated and communicated that He was the true and rightful ruler over all things. Jesus said before He ascended into heaven, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. You see, the the way that Jesus taught and the things that He proclaimed, and in fact the testimony of all of the Scriptures, is you cannot look at Jesus as just some uh, good teacher or religious revolutionary or a mystic by which you can learn and incorporate His, his strategies and way of living into your life. You know what Jesus declares is, I am the king of everything, even you. And if you are going to follow me, you must set aside all of your claims of power and glory and authority, even over your own life and submit to and hope in and trust and follow me. You see, the lordship and the reign of Jesus is a direct assault and challenge to all of our claims of authority and to the claims of authority that all of the kingdoms of man have. In fact, uh, Peter, later in the book of Acts, reflecting on the, uh, on the opposition that Jesus and his people experienced at the hands of the Romans and at the hands of the Jewish religious leaders, pointed back to Psalm 2 and showed that the world's uh, crucifixion 
an execution of Jesus revealed what is deep in the hearts of all men, that we do not want God to be ruler and king over us and we will do whatever is necessary to get him out of our way. We as God's people must recognize and understand the kingdoms of this world are not neutral. They are in rebellion against our God. They will seek to overthrow Him and destroy God's people. We see the Scriptures communicate that with with the ruler of this world now. Satan, who Peter again communicates and says that he is prowling like a lion, seeking the people of God that he might devour and consume us. Jesus says, do not be surprised if you experience rejection and persecution and attack and opposition for following me. You're a citizen of my kingdom. And just as Psalm 2 told us, and just as we're seeing in this passage, Abner's rebellion isn't just against David. It's against God himself. And he is willing to take out even the citizens of God's kingdom to bring his kingdom into place. This is true in our day, too. I was just reading in uh, the Voice of the Martyrs uh, magazine that came uh, here to the church this month. Uh, There's a man named Bassam who lives in the Arabian Peninsula. Uh, He came to Christ and for eight years remained silent and quiet because he was afraid of the opposition he would experience if he let others know in his community and in his country that he was following Jesus, not just as a teacher, but as God in the flesh who came to save sinners. And after eight years, he finally realized, I must speak out. And when he began to speak out, the opposition came. First, his wife rejected him. Then she turned him in to the police who he worked for. They began to harass him at work. Uh, after he would not, he continued to not remain silent and began to speak and share his faith with his family. His family uh, began to beat him and attack him day on end. Uh, he was imprisoned for because uh, for, his wife turned him in again to the court system, saying that he was committing uh, apostasy and blasphemy against Muhammad, against the Quran, and against Allah. And there he continued to proclaim the good news and the message that Jesus is the one true and living God. His wife kicked him out of their house and withheld um, his access to their daughters. And every opportunity that his brother-in-law's or his father or his family would have, they would ridicule him with their mouths or beat him with their fists. But Psalm came to recognize and realize that the kingdoms of this world are not neutral. They will do whatever is necessary to bring down Jesus and his people because as long as the message and the good news of the gospel of Christ is going out, announcing that Jesus is the one ruler and king and the savior of sinners, everyone who is against that message and realizes the implications that that means I must submit to Jesus will stand in opposition. The truth that Jesus proclaims is not one that is subjective. 
It's okay for you to believe what you want to believe and we'll believe what I, you, I want to believe. Jesus says, what I am proclaiming is true for everyone. I am your king and you must submit to me. This isn't just happening in the Arabian Peninsula. Things like this are happening in the U.S. Maybe you've experienced it in your school. Uh, the shame or, or ridicule that you've gotten for speaking up for Christ in your class. Uh, growing in university systems. Um, uh, I was reading an article this week of a guy who's recently been doing uh, research, and he found out that around half of um, uh, administrators in colleges, if they find out that uh, a, somebody who's applying for a professor position in a university, if they profess that they are a follower of Christ, and one who is committed to the scriptures, that they will not hire that person. There's growing persecution and difficulties for those who are entering the medical school who proclaim to follow and trust and rest in Christ. Why? Because the kingdoms of this world are not neutral. And we as God's people must recognize and see that when we are communicating that we are following and submitting to Jesus, that is a threat to all who are around us until they see that their life is only going to be found in submitting to Christ. So what do we, what do, we do? How do we as God's people respond when we are living in this world that on the outside appears to be controlled and dominated by the kingdoms of man and the kingdoms of this world. Well, we see in this passage that God's people must live as citizens of his kingdom. Notice how Joab doesn't quite understand that. Remember, Abner's the one who came, came down bringing his army and his intimidation and his conflict down to the borders of David's kingdom. And it tells us in verse 13 that Joab goes up with David's men. Now, Joab is the, the commander of David's army. He's also uh, David's nephew. Uh, but notice what we don't see here and how this compares to other things that we've seen in the book of First and Second Samuel so far. Joab doesn't inquire of the Lord what he should do. We're not told that David sends Joab and his men up here to investigate what Abner's doing. Joab never seeks to see, is this what uh, the God would have me to do, to go and engage Abner and his men in battle? No, Joab just reacts and responds. When Abner brings up this idea of battling and fighting, Joab is content to act and live not like a citizen of the kingdom of God's anointed, but Joab decides to act like those in the world. Abner's the one who initiates. Let's let the men get up and battle before us. And Joab's like, yeah, let's do it. Because you've got to remember, what has been Joab's mindset and his brothers? Uh, I don't know if you remember a couple of chapters ago when Saul had camped on the other side of the ravine and David asked one of his men if they wanted to go over with him into, the, into Saul's army's uh, camp. It was, uh, it was Abishai 
Joab's other, one of Joab's other brothers who said, oh yeah, I'll go. And as soon as they get there, what is Abishai's desire? He's like, give me the spear and I will drive it straight through Saul and I won't have to do it twice. These men have longed for the opportunity to put it to Saul and his kingdom and his rulers. But what has their king been modeling the whole time? Patience. Trust. Resting in a just God who will bring about my kingdom in his own timing and in his own way. I am not going to resort to the ways of this world to seek to bring this kingdom about in my own strength and the way that the world says that this is how you get power and influence and status and authority. No, David has modeled that I'm going to do a crazy thing and entrust myself to the God who judges rightly and who will bring about his kingdom. How does the Lord respond to Joab's actions here? What is God's perspective? You notice what happens? He says, oh, well, let's, let's let these guys get up and fight. What happens to the first two guys who go up in battle? Well, they kill each other. It's a draw. So what do they do? Well, they do it again. Same thing happens. Oh, well, let's do it again. Over and over. Twelve times. 24 men die. Nothing begins to click in their minds about what is the, these deaths here communicating to us about God's perspective on what we're doing? Because what they don't realize is the kingdom of God isn't expanding right now. It's shrinking. Brothers are fighting brothers. Back in Joshua chapter 7, when the Lord is bringing God's people into the promised land, He has promised to give them the land and He says that it's theirs. And they take Jericho easily. One of the next cities they begin to go and engage is called Ai. And they take a, a, a portion of their army into battle against Ai and they lose due to, due to Achan's sin and, and his lack of faith. And there it tells us that 36 people die. And the death of 36 people causes Joshua and the people of God to fast and repent before God because the death of those 36 men communicate to them that we have done something that is out of line with God's intention for His people. But here, Joab and his men don't get it. And what do they do? They continue to pursue and act like the world. We have from chapter, from verse 4 on, uh, or, sorry, from verse 18 on down. His brother Asahel continues to pursue Abner, going after him. Abner yells out multiple times, turn aside, go to somebody else. Asahel, no. He continues to pursue again. Does he remember anything about the model and the example that his king gave him? Who was the pursued one, not the one who was pursuing, who continued to go after as Abner, seeking to kill him. And what ends up happening? He dies. What does his death communicate to us? Up to this point in the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, 
deaths have only shown us to come about in battle due to God's judgment and His displeasure with what is going on. And in fact, in the end, when we, when we see it, we see the body count. 20 of David's men die. 360 of the people of Benjamin die. The kingdom is shrinking and God's people are content to continue to live their lives as the world lives instead of living as citizens of His kingdom. You see, Joab had an incredible example given to him by his king of patience and trust in his God. And we have too. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter draws our attention to how we should respond when we experience opposition in this world from the kingdoms who are opposed to our God and to His people. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, Peter says this, But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like straying sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." Peter says, look, people of God, do you realize whose kingdom you are citizens of? Look to your king and how he lived. That if, if anyone had the right to revile and respond and react to unjust treatment, it was Jesus. But what did he do? He entrusted himself to the God who judges justly over all things. We as God's people, in the midst of this hostile and antagonistic world, must follow the example of our King. Let's not be like Joab, who thinks the ways of my King are foolish. See, what is he really want us to do? To, to take the shame? To take the punishment? To take the persecution? No. The kingdom will never come this way. The only thing we, must, we can do is to get them before they get us. Respond to evil with evil. To attacking with a bigger attack. You want to turn the other cheek? Well, I'm going to turn right back around and bring my fist with it and knock you out. Don't you understand, Jesus? That is how life is lived in this world. We're going to be destroyed. But no, we look to our King and trust and rest in Him, knowing that He has our best interest in mind and that it is only through following Him 
And what we saw is only through his suffering and his rejection and his death that the kingdom will come. But it's not just that we need to battle with this in our own hearts as we face the world around us. Remember, with Abner, we have two things going on. We have this opposing kingdom that is attacking the kingdom of of God, but we also have these brothers, is the language that they used. It's Benjamin and Judah fighting each other and devouring one another and killing one another. Why in the world would the people of God destroy and take down our fellow citizens for whom Christ died? James tells us in his book why it is that we are content to have these conflicts and oppositions existing between members of the visible people of God. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. When we as God's citizens live like the world, we are living as enemies to our God and our King. Why do we devour and attack our brothers and sisters in Christ? It's not because of them. James says it's because of us. Because of our sinful passions that are at war among us. Do you have conflict right now? with one of the members of our church? One of the members of the people of God? Do not react and respond to them as the world would. Shunning them? Isolating them? Sending them rude and mean messages? Ignoring them? No. What has our King called us to do? To pursue and love and forgive Because we are citizens of His kingdom. Jesus told us, we are in the world, but we're not of it. So in the midst of this hostile world, as God's people, we must live and respond as those who have been forgiven. As those who are beneficiaries of the suffering and death of our King. Remembering Jesus' promise, greater is He who is in us, than he who is in the world. What does that mean? What that means is God's kingdom is always going to prevail. Did you notice that in this passage? Although 20 people from Judah died, how many from the tribe of Benjamin died? 360. You see, in the face of this opposition... God is still working in the midst of a sinful people to bring about and establish His kingdom despite their rebellion. 
Notice what it says, verse 1 of chapter 3, which we'll look at more next week. There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, and David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. Why is that? It's because God is at work. It's because God will establish His kingdom. And if Joab had the eyes of faith to see that, he wouldn't have attacked and responded the way that he did. We'll see in a couple of weeks that David is not pleased a lot of times with the way that Joab responds. In many ways, Joab and Abner are two of the same guys seeking their own influence, their own status, their own power, and disregarding and not thinking highly of the kingdom of God that will come and will be established. Jesus says that He is going to establish His kingdom and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And guess what? He is going to use sinners like me and sinners like you to bring about and establish this kingdom. And it doesn't matter what kind of persecution and rejection and shame that we experience, the kingdom will come. Guess what happened to Basam? The more rejection he experienced, the more he rejoiced at being considered worthy of being a citizen of Christ's kingdom and be able able to proclaim and communicate the good news that Jesus dies to save sinners. As his dad, who had shunned him and rejected him, was dying in the hospital, he went to visit him to preach Christ to him. As his family came in, he spoke the good news of the gospel of Jesus to them. And guess what they did outside? They beat him up. And guess what he refused to do? Press charges. He said, I love you because Jesus has loved me and I have forgiven them. And guess what happened? His sister secretly came to faith in Christ. Later, one of his brothers secretly came to faith in Christ. Because he was... His wife had isolated him from a lot of his finances because she communicated with the government to send his paycheck directly to her. He was having to collect cans on the side of the road to make money. One of his brothers-in-law saw him on the side of the road, stopped, got out, and beat him till teeth were falling out. Again, he didn't press charges. And one of his sisters reached out and said, can you send me a Bible? I want to know more about this Jesus that you serve and you follow. See, what would have happened if Basam had responded the way the world responded? An eye for an eye. A tooth for a tooth. Fighting and rejecting and reviling and cursing. But what are we seeing? God's kingdom is moving forward and He's saving and redeeming sinners through broken people like you and me and Basam and Joab and David. Jesus is our Savior and our King. The world will not be content to see His kingdom established, but we must trust. We must rest in Him We must live as humble citizens of His kingdom, following His example, confident that He is returning and that He will bring justice and renewal of all things. God's kingdom will prevail and Jesus will rule 
over all things on this earth. May we have the faith to endure until he returns. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that Jesus is king, that he rules and reigns over all things seen and unseen, things in heaven, things on earth. Father, we pray that you would give us the faith to trust in Christ, to follow him in the midst of suffering and shame and rejection. Would you be pleased to use our suffering to bring many to know him? For his glory we pray. Amen.